going to focus on uh, the passage that Chris read to us, and, and really mainly from uh, about verse uh, 16 uh, to the end. But uh, in our home growing up, there was uh, a sign, I think I've used this illustration before, there was a sign next to the kitchen that said this, dinner will be served when the fire alarm goes off. Uh, I've spent the week with my mother, it's nothing against uh, her cooking, but if, if you were a guest, you were being told that if kind of sometime between 5 and 7 p.m. you heard the kind of noise that would normally make you want to flee a building, well, in this house you were to head to the, the, the dinner table and get ready to eat. Uh, this passage uh, this morning, it's, it's an even more surprising dinner invitation, because whoever we are, whatever we've done, Whatever our history, Jesus uh, invites us to come to a feast. And this morning, Andy, uh, a few weeks ago, kind of paused his series in Luke. Um, But what we're doing today, we're jumping into the second half. And it's often said that in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, um, at a meal, or leaving a meal. Um, In chapter 5, he had a meal uh, at Levi's house. In chapter 7, he had dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. Um, In chapter 9, you can maybe remember that he broke bread. He fed 5,000 people. In in chapter 10, he ate with Mary and Martha. In chapter 11, he enjoyed another meal. Um, As Jesus says of himself in Luke chapter 7, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking. And I love this. I love this uh, element to Jesus. Because think about it, all the problems in the world, um, all the sorrow, all the sin, all the shame, they all began, didn't they, with a single bite? Um, Adam and Eve ate something. But in the gospel, it's the reverse. Salvation uh, means eating. And in this story, salvation, it's, it's pictured as a meal. God is calling us today, whether we're at the table or not yet at the table, to come and eat. And I've got three headings this morning, and here's the first. Here's the first. Meet the host. Meet the host. Let's start at the end. Verse 23, then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Uh, The master, the host, uh, is the main character in this parable, and he's a man with great resources. He's got a a great home, but it's not just any home. It's, It's big enough to host a banquet, not just any banquet, a great, a grand banquet. He wants a full house. He wants full stomachs, and when I first read this, I thought of three wonderful homes that I know. The first has got a a beautiful garden. It's got a river that flows at the bottom of it, and every year the owners of that uh, house, they uh, host a a big picnic for their their whole church family. Um, In the second home, there's there's always an amazing fire, and the the conversation is always fantastic, and the the wife is an artist, and that affects how uh, the house looks. But in the third, I think this is my favorite, it's in Old Aberdeen, Uh, you have to walk along Cobbled Street to get to it, 
and the kitchen is the heart of this home. And you never feel like an intruder in this house. And there are pets everywhere. And it's never tidy. But it's the kind of place that would feel weird if it was. Jesus says to us this morning, that is what life with God is actually like. Now, I wonder if you and I, if we really believe that this morning. I think there's a kind of uh, default setting that you and I can go back to after we've been Christians for a while. We start to think that God uh, must be frustrated with us. You know, we've been Christians a while. You know, shouldn't we have made more progress? We can often think that God is someone who's most frequent feeling towards us is a kind of disappointment. And you and I, we can assume that God doesn't really like us, let alone love us. Not only that, we have an enemy who doesn't want us to think or to believe the truth. The devil is happy when you and I think of God as stingy. That's the the lie, isn't it, that Adam and Eve believed when they ate in the garden. This parable, this host, thinking about him, it makes us say, well, hang on a minute. Do you and I this morning, do we actually know what God is really like? God is a God who's, who's decided to celebrate. God is a God who's decided to have a great feast. In the words of verse 16, he's given a great banquet, and he's invited many people to it. Now, a feast like this it always involves planning, doesn't it? Um, the host has, has looked in the diary, they've chosen a date, they've ordered the food, they've printed out the invitations, they've sent them out. Everything is, is beautiful. This is a, a great occasion. It's a banquet. And this meal, it's not kind of cheap sausage rolls, flat lemonade. It's not leftovers. No, this is a feast. This is an occasion. This is something to look forward to. And this host wants a house full of people. He wants them to enjoy being there. Now, if you and I, if we host some kind of party or get together, if we have people over, there is always a cost, isn't there? We, we spend money, we spend time, we have to do the dishes. There are resources, our energy is, in a sense, depleted. But God is different. The God we meet in Scripture is a God who gives without losing anything. In one sense, he, he pours out gifts on people who show no interest in him. God gives food and fun and friendship. This is his common grace. He, he showers gifts on believers and unbelievers alike. Paul puts it this way. In the past, he let all nations go their own, own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And friends, this morning, if this is what God is like, I think we have to ask uh, a few questions, don't we? Is there enough celebration and joy and warmth in our Christianity? Are we to do 
Are we too serious? A friend of mine says that Scottish joy is a deep joy. And it's so deep that it never surfaces. And he's Scottish, so he can say that. And yet, is there even a hint of truth in that stereotype? Sometimes we need to hear the question Paul asked the Galatians, what has happened to all your joy? See, for much of his life, Martin Luther, he was a man who could only see his sin, and he really lacked assurance. Then God's grace broke in. He began to see what Jesus had done for him, and the portraits of Martin Luther before and after, they're quite revealing. And before his conversion, he was practically gaunt. And after he came to real faith in Jesus, he put on some weight, and he was more relaxed, and he was rounder in the face. See, the Christian life is challenging. If you look down at Luke 14, you'll see that the next section of Luke uh, talks about the cost of discipleship. So, the Christian life is challenging, and yet, it's also joyful. It's a banquet. It's a generous host who wants us to be there. And so, maybe this morning, we have to ask these questions. Are we happy celebrating? And does that sound a bit unspiritual, a bit unchristian? Are we more spiritual than God? Do we realize that He wants more than duty? Have we actually met the host? That's the first heading. Here's the second. Meet the host. Here's the second heading. Hear the excuses. Hear the excuses. Um, In our kitchen at home, some of you will have seen this, we've got a pile of letters and uh, papers and drawings and what I can only describe as bits and bobs, and they kind of accumulate in a corner next to the fridge. And from time to time, we have to go through this, and we, we kind of discover all kinds of amazing things, bills and receipts and lists and all kinds of stuff. Well, it's what's happened to the invites, isn't it? Uh, These invites came through the letterbox. They were picked up. They were uh, opened. Maybe they were even admired. But instead of sitting pride of place on the mantelpiece or on the fridge, they are now coffee-stained. They are forgotten. And as the feast, the great feast day approaches... Well, a second invite comes. Verse 17, come, come, for everything is now ready. Well, we see the response in verse 18, kindness is met with excuses. I've bought a field. I've bought oxen. I've just got married. So, here are people who were on the guest list, who were on the table plan, but they don't want to be there. Now, notice they reject this offer politely. They say, please excuse me. People are often like that. People are often unable to see their need for Jesus. They keep Him at arm's length. And maybe this morning, that's you. Maybe you're someone who's been coming to St. Peter's for a while. Maybe you're 
exploring the Christian faith, maybe you can recognize something of yourself in these descriptions. But like lots of excuses, these excuses don't really make any sense. I've never bought a field, I've never bought a dog, let alone oxen. I imagine you wouldn't do that without checking. And why should marriage stop you being there? Surely what we know of this host means he'd only be delighted to welcome your spouse. Hi, come on in, I've heard so much about you. But it didn't happen. And friends, I think this morning, this parable, it teaches us that we should never be surprised when people reject Jesus And we should never be surprised when they do that as they understand and grasp exactly what is being offered. Maybe especially when they've understood that. There will always be people who who hear the invitation, who wear up, and who say they know they know what, you're, what, what, what we're offering, and yet they say, it's just not for me. And if you're trying to share your faith uh, with a family member or a friend or something like that, it can be very discouraging, and yet it shouldn't catch us off guard. It should never surprise us. In verse 21, the host hears the excuses, and he's angry. In verse 24, The last verse, we're told that none who were first invited get to taste the banquet. So it is possible to miss this. And in many ways, that is what was happening as Jesus spoke these words. And the Pharisees, they knew the Scriptures. And yet when God walked amongst them, they rejected Him, didn't they? See, Jesus told this parable at a meal. It was really a kind of after-dinner speech. But the meal he was at, well, it couldn't be more different to the one he spoke of, could it? Chris read it to us. In verses 1 to 11, we see the meal Jesus is at. He, it was a Sabbath. And Jesus was in the home of a religious ruler. But he was being watched. And when he healed a man, when he gave back someone their dignity, instead of rejoicing, these people were silent. And they were the kind of people who were proud, who, who always scrambled for the best seats. When they partied, they only invited people they thought were important, people like them. And in Jesus' day, showing hospitality was something that, that was always meant to be reciprocated, See that in verses 12 to 14. If someone invited you to dinner last week, well, it was your turn next week. One of the things Jesus is doing here is showing us that God is different. God doesn't play by our rules. He he gives to people who can't pay Him back. You and I don't uh, tend to like that feeling in our relationships, do we? Being in somebody's debt, it kind of makes us feel a bit uncomfortable, awkward. 
And I think it's very easy for us to carry that thinking into our relationship with God. Grace is not the way the world works, is it? We're not used to that. I think we can actually be Christians for years and still struggle to believe it. We can tick all the religious boxes. We can try to stay clean. We can do the best we can. And all the time, our joy is just draining away. We serve and serve and serve, and we never, or we're uncomfortable with the idea of God serving us. But friends, this morning, I think so often the key to the Christian life is believing in God's grace. And simply coming to terms with the fact that He is gracious. Breathing a sigh of relief because of that. Learning to rest in that grace. There is a God and He needs nothing from us. And he wants us to, to enjoy his goodness, his grace. That takes me to the, the third, the final point. Meet the host. Hear the excuses. Here's the third heading. Enjoy the feast. Enjoy the feast. In verse 21, the host sends his servant out. Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town. Bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. Even after he's done that, there's still room. And so the host says, go again, fill my house. I think there's an application here for the way we think about our outreach, our evangelism. We often think of it as something we do all on our own. God is ahead of us. And what we see here in this banquet is a picture of his absolute determination to save people, to, to welcome people back to himself. We see his love for, for the lost. And this is the great theme, isn't it, that, that runs through the whole of the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, God goes looking for people. If you're a Christian this morning, it's because God found you. And that's a great comfort, isn't it? And the people who finally get to this feast... Well, maybe we can picture them. They, they weren't expecting an invite. Uh, they didn't even know about it. They weren't dressed for it. No, they were just brought in. They had nothing to offer. And as they walked into this beautiful home, as they entered through the gate, as they sat at the table of this great host, as they drank his wine and tasted his food, they were amazed that they were there. There's a lovely old hymn that uh, captures all of this so well. It imagines all of God's people at this great banquet, and it says this, while all our hearts and all our songs join to admire the feast, each of us cries with thankful tongue, Lord, why was I a guest? Why was I a guest? That's what a real Christian says and feels. 
See, do you ever wonder this morning, why, why does God love me? The answer is so simple, He just does love you. Our salvation, it's not something we achieve, it's not something we perform, it's something we receive, it's a, it's a gift. And very often you and I forget that, and very often we forget something else. We forget that our salvation, our future, is physical. This was the great promise that ran through the Old Testament. Life with the, the God who loves colors and flavors, who made stars, who made waterfalls and mountains and penguins. Well, that was never going to end up as some kind of disembodied, floating on clouds kind of life. Listen to Isaiah. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. That's death. He will swallow up death forever, wipe away tears from all faces, remove His people's disgrace. God is saying to us through this passage this morning, there is a meal ahead. You've been invited to that meal. You've got a place at that table. Come and sit at it. I think sometimes um, in churches like ours, we can have a very uh, right uh, concern to, to talk about our personal relationship with God, can't we? And we can uh, highlight how important that is. And yet a feast, a banquet, it's a corporate thing, isn't it? It's a shared thing. You and I, we, we belong to one another. We, we don't have a kind of solo salvation. No, one day you and I all together, we'll taste and see that the Lord is good. One day our faith will give way to sight. But sight is not the only sense we'll need, is it? Hearing, smell, touch, and taste. We will see Jesus. We will eat with Jesus. We will be with Him. We will enjoy His presence forever. Maybe this morning you, you're asking, well, how can I know that? How can I know that's that's true, that's for sure. Well, what did Jesus say on the eve of his death? He said, one day I will eat and drink again with you in my Father's kingdom. And who did he say that to? What kind of people did he say that to? He said it to men who were about to abandon him. You know, sometimes people who are, who are thinking about Christianity or, or maybe they've become really opposed to it, uh, they'll we'll tell them something of the gospel and they'll, they'll say, you know, I, I hear what you've just said, but I like to think of God as dot, dot, dot. 
But as Christians, uh, you and I, we can do this too, can't we? We don't always say it out loud. But I think we believe it deep inside. I think God could never forgive me. I think God doesn't want to be near me. I think God hasn't chosen me. But to people like that, to you, to me, Jesus says, forget all that. Forget all that. Come to the feast. Come and eat. Come to me. Well, let's pray together.